Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here, and Bricky's here a day late, but I don't care because this week, this week right here is the week before the storm in my life. The storm in my life that is this. I just completed five weeks in a row out of Touch of Disney. Now that is an event that I will always hold close to my heart. Was it a perfect event? No. Was it an event that got a lot of its momentum stolen from it? Absolutely yes. But did it feel good to be back at the park? Not just a, you know, a street with a couple of ropes at the end of it. That's your conquest. Walt always wanted to put a weenie at the end of the street. My generation got a rope at the end of the street. But it felt nice to be in a fully walkable Disney's California adventure. But this week, breathe it in. There's no Disney parks in Southern California. Sure, I could go to downtown Disney just to keep up tradition, but I'm saving up all my Energon cubes. Autobots, let's roll. For all you Transformer fans, you know how important the Energon cubes are. So I'm saving them up, piling them up, because I will be one of the first people to ever go inside of Disneyland when it returns next week. Friday the 30th, you can find me over on YouTube, creating a window into the magic for all of you that weren't able to go because maybe uh, you don't feel safe right now. And I'm not going to judge you for that. Maybe it's not in the budget because you're a former AP and you're like, I'm not spending $150 on a ticket. Not judging you for that. High-fiving you for that. And unfortunately, maybe you're one of our out-of-state, out-of-country citizens of Disneyland and you're like, I want to be there, Bricky, but not allowed to do that. So I'm looking at this week as the quiet before the storm because I was able uh, to, through all the support of my friends over at club1313.com, my homie Daphne Lee got in there and said, Ricky, I got you all the dates you wanted. I kept telling everybody, these are the three main dates I need, friends. If you get in there and you're reserving tickets for these days, I need to be there on Friday, April the 30th for the 1955 of our generation. I need to be there on the first ever May the 4th, and I need to be there June the 4th when the Avengers Campus finally starts recruiting here in Southern California. And my friend Daphne Lee said, I got you tickets for all three. I said, what? Are you going on those three days? No. Just a citizen of Disneyland. Hung in there, looked at Big Thunder Mountain and the goat for hours, got in there before I was able to secure these tickets for myself, bought them for me, and I said, uh, how quickly can I Venmo you the money? She said, Bricky, this was a lot. I got, I got a headache. I need to sit down for 15 minutes. And then, boom, invoiced me, and I paid immediately because, you know, I'm not looking for a freebie. I'm looking for a friend, looking for a little bit of help. So thanks to my friend, Daphne Lee, I was able to secure those three very important dates on the calendar. But thanks to myself, I was able to get many other dates, and I got good news for you. I will be at the Disneyland Resort. I say good news for you. Great news for me, maybe eh, news for you, but I will be out at the Disneyland Resort for the first eight weeks live streaming at each and every visit, taking you into the park, uh, giving you a window into the magic, breaking it down the bricky way. And I am so excited to be back and even more excited to take you with me. And I got good news for those of you like, just, just enjoy it. Just go back and enjoy it. I actually booked one date, a secret date that I will be going with my wife, with my friends, Mike and Carl. It will be a couple's trip to the park, and I assured Beth, no camera, just my iPhone. I'm like, you know, if I see something that I got to film, I'll film it, but don't worry. I'll do the narration back at home. So I actually did just put one date in there uh, to spend with my wife, to spend with a couple that we love to go out with. So don't worry. There's, There's an extra pleasure trip on top of the eight taking all of you in there with me. Today's episode is a very special episode. I had the honor to appear over on Thank the Maker Star Wars podcast. Uh, my good friend Nick Bayside. You remember Nick was on the show October 14th. He joined me and we talked about the future of Star Wars and Batu with my good bud Nick Bayside. But Nick invited me to join his buds over on the show with, with Adam and Ryan. And we got to hang out and, and talk all about Star Wars, but most specifically they had me on as their Star Wars Galaxy's Edge expert. And let me tell you, I put on a sash that said mayor. 
I put on a pin that said resident of Galaxy's Edge, Batu, and I just wanted to flex all of my knowledge that I have for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. But even more than that, I wanted to be a, um, a representative of Disneyland. I wanted to be a representative of what it means to be a citizen of Disneyland and talk to some of these, you know, hard, hardcore Star Wars fans that these guys are reaching out to and entertaining each and every week. Think the Maker's a great podcast. All guys that have a background in the world of entertainment, uh, they bring it to their podcast. Honored to be able to share the microphone with them. But what I was more honored to do is to talk to regular Star Wars fans and explain them but two, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge from a citizen of Disneyland's perspective. You know, to me, what makes it special is that it's inside Disneyland. And then what adds to that specialness is that it deals with Star Wars, something that I have very dear memories of going to see with my mother. Some of the only good memories that I have of spending time with my mother. That's a complicated conversation for another time. But Star Wars is in my core. It's in my DNA. It's in my childhood. I'm a child of the 70s. Uh, the times that I saw Star Wars, very, very influential in my life. And having it cross paths with this love that I would find later in life, Disneyland, is just happiness on top of joy throw in a dash of Disney magic and it's everything that makes my heart feel full. That all being said, a lot of people uh, were rough on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. They wanted to be built in their image. They wanted it to represent their imagination of what their expectations were for Disney building a Star Wars themed land. But I try to break down, and you've heard me do this before, both on my show and when I was invited to be over on the sweep spot with, with the boys, but I try to break it down from why it's a masterwork in theme park design, Disney theme park design. How I really feel that this land is a canvas. It is a canvas. It is a screen. It is whatever you feel attached to for storytelling. It's an empty book. I hate books, so I'd never use that analogy first. I'm a visual guy. I'm an art guy. It's a canvas that is just waiting to tell a Star Wars story. Perfectly constructed, perfectly built, with a future that is wide open, that will evolve. And one of the reasons why I was so excited to get a ticket for May the 4th is I want to be one of the first citizens of Disneyland to ever celebrate May the 4th, this Star Wars holiday that fans came up with inside of Batu. Now, last year, that holiday was only able to be celebrated by those that deserve it the most. Disneyland's front responder employees, right? The ones that stayed in there all year long, the maintenance, the, the, I don't know if you'd call them janitors, but you know, we'll, we'll call them maintenance folks, right? Like the people that were the skeleton screw, <laughs> not the skeleton screw, the skeleton crew that kept the lights on, that kept it going, that kept it from complete disarray and disappear, dis, disrepair. Disrepair. Woo, I'm getting in. I'm getting down in the tunnel here of my emotions and the words aren't coming out right. But you get what I'm saying. The people that literally just kept the park on like life support until it was ready for more and more cast members to come back before it was ready for people to start testing the park and before it was ready for us to return to the park. So it is my honor to get to explain to a bunch of Star Wars people that maybe rolled their eyes at it. Like, no, it is really, really great. It is very, very close to perfection. Couple problems wrong, we will discuss. But it is an amazing blank canvas for you to create your Star Wars story and for these parks to create their Star Wars story. And to sort of give people a different perspective of was this land flawed or was your mentality flawed? Did you go in there and try to explore something new or did you go in there and pout that you didn't find something that you already knew? I think that's the debate. And we'll hear it right now. I'm on it. Thank the maker. This is available over on their feed. But when Nick was on, they shared my episode. I wanted to share their episode, hopefully get them some new listeners and hopefully just find me in a different environment where I'm like, I'm going to try not to take over the show, guys. I'm going to try to sit in my chair and wait my turn. Man, it didn't go so well. I tried to take over the show, but that's just how I roll. It's Think the Maker. Friends, I'll see you back here next week with a very, very magical and inspirational podcast to get you in all the feels when we are so close to being back inside the sweet, sweet berm of Disneyland. Tunnel on the right. I got a date with you, and it's less than one week away.
Hello there, and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. You forgot, baby. I'm your host, <laughs> Ryan Key. And I'm your host, Nick Ambarian, the third host. And I'm wearing my new Dua Lipa shirt I just got in the mail, guys. You're looking good. <laughs> When's your new podcast drop? <laughs> well, I'm recording a year's worth of Dua Lipa podcasts next week. <laughs> I'm doing 52 of them. I thought we were Thank the Maker, a Dua Lipa podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the Thank the Maker podcast network. <laughs> yeah. You know, this, not, not to take over this whole conversation with Dua Lipa, but it all starts with a joke that is like an inside joke with Conan O'Brien and his podcast where he's always like, you know, I know what the kids are listening to, Dua Lipa, you know? And I'm like, what is Dua Lipa? Finally, like after six months of listening to it, of Conan's podcast, I'm just like, what is Dua Lipa? And I put it on, I'm like, oh. She slaps. I'm into this. <laughs> this shit yeah. slaps. Cool, 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 cool. All right. It's funky. I like it. Yeah. Uh, you know what else slaps? A podcast called Disneyland for Designers and a YouTube channel called Adventures in Design uh, brought to us by a person named Mark Bricky who's on the podcast right now with us. What's up, man? Hey, guys. I'd like to say that uh, Dua Lipa had the best bass line in 2020. Uh, you cannot Agreed. hear that song and not get sucked into that bass line. It is phenomenal. Exactly. It's funky. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and move your hips to it. There's two bass players on this podcast, but there's also five people, including bass, who all could play bass because anyone could play bass. So, <laughs> <that's true. laughs> we are the authority, is my point. I've played some bass. In high school bands, especially bass is like, okay, who's willing to play bass? Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're going for, like, bass player status. Like, yeah. In our genre... It would, yes. Yeah, yeah. But like in our high school garage band is like, yeah, okay, fine. I'll I'll play the bass. Yeah. But if you're like if you want to play it for Dua Lipa, yeah. you you're a ba- you're no a bass joke. player. No like joke. you're a and not everyone can just pick it up and do that. So That's a fact. So today we're going to talk about the happiest place on earth. I'll be there in a week from yesterday. Actually, Mark, you're you're the authority on this. Is one of the Disney parks, the happiest place on earth. And the other one is the most magical or some shit. What it, it was actually dubbed us. that Disneyland is the happiest place on earth because it's the classic, uh, the 1955 original. And a lot of people don't understand this, but Disneyland was the only park that Walt ever got to go to. Uh, he passed away before Walt Disney world would, would get going. And in another fun sidebar to the Disney family, his brother Roy would see through his vision, but slowly, or I'd say two months after Walt Disney world opened up, uh, Roy passed away as as well so wow. when people say happiest place on earth they say disneyland and a fun fact for everybody to kind of keep the two parks separated walt disney world has world has orl in the middle of it orlando disneyland has la in it for los angeles so a lot of people just kind of throw out the names when i first moved out here that was the easy way to figure out what i was talking about so i didn't sound like a disney idiot <laughs> nice i like that i think i saw something about how roy's passing was almost like I don't know what the right word is. Uh, like he saw it through and was like relieved and let go. A lot of like, people say that it it maybe his death and the completion of that project were were married together in whichever way yeah. you'd like to look at it. But yeah, that is absolutely true. Yeah. Wow. How much of your knowledge? Well, actually, first before we start digging in, tell us more about your podcast and your YouTube channel, what you focus on and kind of what your passions are. Obviously you're here to talk star Wars, but yeah, for sure. Quite a bit more. Let the people know. So back in 2012, I started podcasting uh, all around the world of the the fine arts or graphic design arts. I was a concert poster maker doing South by Southwest and lots of music festivals. And then along the way, as it became my full-time job in 2014 and I monetized the podcast, I started going into different directions because I was like, if I'm going to do 200 podcasts a year, I want to stay interested in it. So my core product is Adventures in Design, which the, the elevator pitch is I interview people that have been able to turn their daydream into a day job. And I I really focus in on what that struggle is like and how you get there because everybody gets there somewhere different. But after interviewing hundreds of people in film, TV, arts, music, I've been able to see sort of different trends where it's similar for all of us, even though we do very, very different things. And one of the things I wanted to do as a passion project to keep me interested in my job so that I'm always growing and finding new things to get into is I started doing a series called Disneyland for Designers. And then uh, when the park closed down for two weeks due to the pandemic, I decided... I'll do this monthly show weekly to keep the magic alive. And that really took me on a very bizarre journey last year of 
trying my hardest, uh, sort of a mission to keep the Disney magic alive through the podcast. So I started having various people on and I'd be like, you tell me 10 places that you'd like to go in the park and I will verbally take you on that lap around the park. And I started putting in park sounds. And so um, I was very humbled to give people the park when there was no park available. And so I took my YouTube channel and I completely went all in on only doing Disney content because it's something I love. I've been to the park over 550 times and uh, I I study it. I've been able to meet so many different people because you guys know how it is. Once once you meet one person and they see your enthusiasm, they introduce you to two other people. And so Disneyland for designers, you don't have to be a designer to listen to it, but you should be prepared to understand how the park runs, how it's been designed, its emotional story. Um, all the fans are really bright. They know all the 10 fun facts, 10 fun things about Big Thunder Mountain. I don't do that. <laughs> I tell you the emotional story of Big Thunder Mountain or whatever part of the park you want to get into. So to be on here to talk Galaxy's Edge with you guys is an honor because this was a very misunderstood development at the uh, Disneyland Park. And I think it's an instant classic that people will only realize late in time, like, um, you know, Paul's Boutique or Pinkerton. It's just one of those things that people didn't get out of the way, but somehow down the road becomes one of the best bodies of work that the artist made. Yeah, dude, I I don't know if this is exactly what you're getting at, but the way I interpret that, um, you know, people kind of not getting it right out of the gate, not understanding or misinterpreting what the park was supposed to be. The biggest example of that to me was just sort of the all the outrage or the the disappointment in it just being one ride when it launched and it being, you know, not very big and there's not much to do. Right. But to me, I remember when I booked my tickets to go there in, God, what was it? It was right before the pandemic actually started. So February. Yeah. So very end of February, a friend of mine got, you know, his fiance had some kind of hookup. So we were going to go spend a day there with them and then a couple of days on my own or with the friend who was coming. And he's like, you should get the park hopper pass. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I kind of just want to spend most of my time in Galaxy's Edge. And he's like, yeah, it's not really that big. You know, you should just get it, you know, because we'll probably go to a lot. And I was like, no, dude, you don't get it. I'm just going to go there <laughs> and I'm just going to be there. Yeah. Soak it like, in, man. That's what I want out of it. Like, I don't care if there's one ride. I don't care if it's not big. We're on a different level, though. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I just want to, like, go exist there. And to me, I, and it I'm getting the vibe of that's what you're saying. Like, it's just, it's a world. It's truly a world. And people, I don't know if everyone quite thinks of it that way yet no i mean you know what one thing i would say too is that like for people like us who are either podcasting lifelong fans people who listen to podcasts people who are just like the ultra super uh passionate star wars fans the millennium falcon life-size millennium falcon is actually <laughs> yeah. enough I know. Yeah, I know. like that one 100%. thing is enough 100 <laughs> percent. just that photo up I'm paying 150 bucks to get in. (laughs) What what a lot of people kind of didn't understand is that I wish it was like my favorite scene and my favorite movie, right? They wanted to walk onto a movie set. Mm -hmm. And what they don't understand about walking onto a movie set is it's actually way limiting because the first time you've done it or you do it, it's the only time that you need to do it. And what they did and what I was hoping for is um, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is roughly themed after New Orleans Square, which isn't the actual New Orleans. There's not a lot of attractions in that either. New Orleans Square has two rides, uh, Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean, which is plenty enough because those are timeless classics. But why I love that it's like New Orleans Square is that you don't walk in there and see all the things from the movie. You walk into a world that feels like Star Wars, which truly does allow you to make memories that are associated with being in this park, with being there. So it's not like you're walking in trying to recreate something you've already seen before. You know Doc Ondoran as the guy that has the shop of curiosities, and that's where that guy lives. And you go in there with your friends and you discover, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Ark up on the upper tier, or you laugh that you see a golden statue of Jar Jar and you're able to go in there and create a new existence. And because it is, I think, a, a perfectly blank slate that will not time out, like the landscape of this land will be just as relevant in 40, 50 years. Just like right now, if you go and watch New Hope, all of those buildings in the desert They have not timed out. They didn't go ultra modern. They didn't go ultra of whatever the the style was there. Like it all still works. So they built a blank canvas 
But we live in a time where people want this instant gratification. They need everything. And two big attractions is is not enough. So I was scratching my head saying, you wait. You wait till the 10-year, the 20-year mark. You will see that this thing was built to last and not built to make people really happy for one visit and then burn out the next time. Yeah, I like that that idea of or the phrase of timing out. And especially with A New Hope because – there's sometimes, and maybe we could do a, a quick podcast about this one day. There are a couple of times in the original trilogy where I see almost the 70s. Like I see a haircut, I see a sideburn, I see facial hair, I see something that's like, that's almost like, if that was a main character, this would not be as timeless as it was. You know, like there's a back a background Imperial officer who has like some weird 70s sideburns. I'm like, oh, yeah. good thing he's in the back. Someone <laughs> in Empire, you know, I'm like, oh, this is almost literally teetering on not being a timeless character or a timeless shot or something like that. But overall, it is. I mean, yeah. we're, we're kind of getting off the, the Galaxy's Edge thing, but it's just it's amazing to watch something that has been around as long as Disney or Star Wars. Yeah see the cyclical nature of style mm-hmm. and have it, I guess it just makes it all more timeless when you, when you see certain styles start to come back in and everything's just, it's been around long enough that it truly is. It's a, it's another universe. It's another world that people like us study, like other people study the Bible or <laughs> American history or something. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It just, it truly is a world for us. And here we are with a podcast about it. An interesting thing talking about timing out is that uh, June 4th, we will see Avengers Campus open here in California. And I guarantee you, Avengers Campus, which looks amazing today, and and I'm excited to uh, look at it, it will tarnish faster and time out faster than Galaxy's Edge because these buildings, these textures, this rock work, that doesn't go out of style. But trying to do a Tomorrowland where you predict tomorrow, that always expires. So when I look yeah, at Disneyland yeah. at the 100-year anniversary, there's not going to be a lot that has to be done to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It will make the run. Good point. The Kessel Run. <laughs> <laughs> so you, through your studies, yeah, you know quite a bit about the development of the park yeah. and have a little bit of knowledge you could impart to the listeners. There are a bunch of maybes, a bunch of early ideas that were scrapped. Yeah. Tell us about some of that that you know. So a couple of things that we saw sketches of and then didn't mature was the, the one that I'm really in love with was there would have been an attraction where you would have gotten to, um, forgive me for not knowing the name, like I'm I'm a hardcore Disney guy. I love Star Wars. I don't know all the names of everything, but you would have rode around the land Help me out here, Nick. You would know it. Big, big like Star a Wars. speeder, maybe? No, like one of those big lizard guys, right? Like from uh, New Hope era. Like, you know, one of those big, uh, whatever. Oh, a dewback. Something like that. Or, a dewback, yeah. Or the woolly mammoth guy. You know, those. Th- or those Bantha. Th- okay, Bantha, Bantha is the hairy one. The lizard one is a dewback. One of those two. So what <laughs> you would do is. You one would, of each. One of each. Essentially, there was going to be to create that kinetic energy. There would be an attraction where you would get to ride on one of these guys and would kind of go around the the outer edge. That got scrapped, which unfortunately, that probably would have been my favorite attraction because that gets into what I love about Disneyland is the kinetic energy and things like the Tom Sawyer, the Disneyland Railroad, where you get to discover the park as you're going through its transportation system. But I think the other one that people are really upset about, and this is an easy thing to find, is that when you are... Uh, in between Smuggler's Run, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, and Ogus Cantina, you'll see some doors that sometimes open up when they have too many guests and they kind of flow people out. That area in there is where the sit-down restaurant was uh, presumed to go. And if you look at uh, Galaxy's Edge from above, you'll see a footprint behind Ogus Cantina, just a vacant footprint that's sitting there where there was going to be a restaurant, which would have been a sit-down restaurant with a full-on animatronic uh, band playing characters, performing shows. You would have had to get a reservation to it. It would have been a thousand times harder than Ogus Cantina. And I think when they were just trying to make the budget work, that was an easy one that didn't make its way. But I love that it didn't happen because that footprint was already built into the land. So there is room for this uh, land to grow. And in particularly here in um, California, there is land once you head over towards Toontown, there is a footprint for this to grow. And obviously, Walt Disney World, they're going to be getting the hotel. And there's a way where that 
uh, intercepts with the land. So we didn't get a couple of things, but the land is actually designed in a way where there are doors, if you know where to look for them, where eventually one day it will bust out and and, and grow and, and scale and give us new adventures. So maybe good that they didn't fill it up so tight that there wasn't room to evolve yeah. into the future and whatever those yeah. needs may be. What's your thought, speaking of new adventures, on the timeline? You know, how we live between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. That's the mistake they made. (laughs) I agree fully, and I want to know your thoughts on it. You know, how does that age well? So that doesn't age well at all, and that will be the first thing that that goes away. Because they essentially put themselves into a corner for storytelling, which I, I love the idea of that. But the problem with that is, is that... You know, any film that gets made that goes beyond the the Skywalker trilogies, it can't be in the park anymore, right? And so they can only put things in there that go back in reverse, and there's a way that they have to address it. And ultimately, fans don't care about that. Fans want to see the Star Wars that they love whatever that may be. So there's 10 new projects right now that is that are greenlit for Disney+. Plus. We know that Mandalorian is a huge hit. We don't know which of the other nine are, are going to be a hit. We don't know what Book of Boba Fett's going to do. And so they need to be able to do that Bob Iger synergy of what works in the film, works in the park, works as merchandise. I predict that slowly we will see the timeline dissipate. And I think the pandemic is a really great way for them to be like, oh, yeah, well, that was back in the old days, right, guys? Yeah. See, nothing to look yeah. here. Here's a here's a yeah. here's a Wookie for you to check out. Like, I feel like that that will slowly gradient away, um, which is kind of a shame that Rise of the Resistance is maybe themed around a moment that isn't everybody's favorite moment. But luckily for us, it is themed around Kylo Ren, who's probably the best character to come out of the last three movies. The, one of the characters that has the staying distance and has a really cool mask. Mask characters don't fade out like the other ones do. So I, I do think you're right, Ryan. I think that was the big failure, and that will be the first thing that gets adjusted. And It's funny because Rise of Resistance is is the ride it's the marquee thing that everyone's like you have to ride it and i mean i i agree it's it's absolutely it's mental Dude, it's the best ride of all time Let's yeah just like say what an experience you know and i i think there not that it would change but there's room you know in the transport to change there's the story there's room in the boarding the the star destroyer to change but after that it's i mean you're talking about closing down and keeping the track basically you know but like redoing the the entire thing to get out of you know this this kylo ren sort of post last jedi adventure that it is because it just that can't be what that ride is 10 years from now it just it, it just can't in my I mind mean, but they could do a version of it you could swap out the end like i mean you could swap out the costumes you know whatever there's there's always like an imperial presence of some kind you know you can have that kind of adventure where like a droid takes you into the you know you're in an enemy's ship you can do that and they can iterate it slightly to make it work kind of for whatever. And I'm guessing that that was their thought with everything. Like, this is the focus right now, but this world exists. They created this new planet, so it wouldn't just time out like... I mean, I I hope you're right. I, I just feel like right now, as amazing as it is, and I can just go sit there. I can go sit on a bench yeah. with my lightsaber in my hand and eat all day totally. and just not leave. I can do that. And that's what I love the most about I it, agree. honestly. And I've seen I Nick agree, do that. I've seen him with his cup of coffee like, sit there for an hour. <laughs> I feel like right now, if I had to say my opinion, is that they are actually pretty backed into a corner. I, I feel like story-wise and ride-wise, they really messed up. I mean, if we're, I'm not, not trying to shit all over Galaxy's Edge. It's amazing, and I'll live there. But I think when it comes to look at a part of this conversation started tonight about like looking forward and how it's going to age and how it's going to i agree with you on the architecture the millennium falcon none of that goes away that's just timeless forever but the rides themselves specifically rise of uh, resistance and the storyline when i say back to the corner i just mean i think they've got some serious work to do to get themselves out of that bucket of syrup well let me pose this question for you ryan what if they were to take that attraction and for like an 18 month celebration Hey, you guys have wanted this to be something off of the original trilogy. Original trilogy is turning 50 or 60, and we're going to make it about that. If you Mm -hmm. take out Kylo Ren, uh, stormtroopers don't tarnish out. That's all good. So if you swap him out. Change the costumes, yeah. Yeah, if you swap him out for for Lord Vader and you put in those voiceovers, I mean, essentially, you're going to some sort of 
you know, Death Star type space base, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think if you swap out those characters and do a couple of little things, I don't think, I think it could go to that. I don't think that it could go to the the the, the prequels though. Like those are the only two yeah. places you could bounce from. I, I hear you, but but follow me. Or Mandalorian, which is the actual hit in yeah. all of this right now. I, I hear you, but but follow me here. The answer depends on what level of fan you know, or we're trying to impress because you could put a Vader costume in there, but I'm going to know that those cannons that they're firing are first order <laughs> cannons and not. <laughs> yeah, that's why and, you guys are perfect that for requires, this. That requires a complete rebuild top to bottom of the inside of the ride. No matter what, the walkers are going to be first order walkers. The, the the TIE fighters are first order TIE fighters. Wait, are those? Yes. Are those? They're not standard. AT-ATs? No, they're the new kind with like the red line. They're they're the new ones. They're also not to so scale. Ev- yeah, everything in the in there is first order oriented. Uh, uh, you yeah. know, it's first order design. Yeah, you're so right. That's kind of where I'm going with this line of questioning. It's like I would love that if they're like, all right, now <laughs> Rise of Resistance is is Rise of the Rebellion, and it's a it's a it's a Empire. You know, it's an original trilogy adventure. That would be amazing if they're able to start doing that. I'm just saying, do they have it in them? to literally gut the thing and rebuild it because that's basically you could keep again like you could keep the walkers but you have to put new you know what i mean yeah like the walker hanger can yeah. stay but you got to make them old walkers the the guns can stay but you got to make them death star guns you got like yeah. all of that has to change so ryan if they Even did that the though, hanger if they did it like you know every year uh around halloween the haunted mansion becomes nightmare before christmas right like the holiday yep. layover Best. i want it to stay that way always but yes could you just make peace with it? Like these aren't the right cannons. That's not the right windshield on the AT. Could you, I mean, could you at least make peace with it though? If the music changed and the characters change and the storyline changed, I think most people. Could. That's the discussion I'm I'm hoping to have here. Yeah. I I don't know the answer to that. I think most people can. I feel like they could make certain parts modular. Because okay, so those weren't the the knuckle walkers like the uh, the the gorilla style ones, right? Mm-hmm. From like Last Jedi, right? Yeah, they're like. An interim or like a, uh, they're very ATAT, but they're just updated it. Mm-hmm. And everyone's just yelling at their headphones right now. <laughs> they know what it's, the shit's called. Uh, but they could make that modular and swappable. So there's like certain shit. I, imagine like going in and you don't know if you're going to get the original trilogy. You don't know if you're going to get the sequel trilogy. You don't so know if like you're going to get a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Like it's a little like, whoa. Yeah. And we're like, going through different versions in the same ride, really. Yeah. yeah and you could, it could be swapped like in the moment. Whether it's Vader being swapped for Kylo Ren, you know, somebody else comes out of that thing, you know, a different animatronic dude comes out or like the head of the damn walker swaps out. The a whole cast comes in with original trilogy uniforms and uh, and armor. I mean, they they could do that. I'm looking at it now and I, I think that I think more thought has gone into this already than we no, because the bodies of the walkers are old, the old walkers and the head is the new one. I'm saying pretty much Ooh, like okay. I'm looking at a, a photo of it right now and the legs are definitely OG and the, and it's kind of just got the red lights and stuff on the head, but it's, I bet they've already thought of this. And the more we've talked about it now tonight, you think about Kylo Ren standing up there. I'm now going to believe they did that on purpose because one day it's going to be Vader standing there, like you said. But there are, there's a lot they're going to have to change. But, you know, it's, I don't, maybe they don't, maybe they've already anticipated, like, yeah. one day we're going to have to gut this whole thing. So let's make it a skin mm-hmm. as opposed to. Hey, guys, to- do you think they have enough money to do it? <laughs> <laughs> Not after this last year. One thing I can assure well, you, though, is this the one scene that will never, ever get changed in that attraction is the, the ad ats, ATAs, because when they built that building, the steel beams that hold those up were built into the frame of that building. So I can assure you that is the scene that will always be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I remember standing at the top of the Mickey and friends parking garage going, Oh my Lord, I'm seeing the framework for ad ads. Cause I'm born in the seventies. I see the framework for ad ads out there. Holy shit. And that was the first yeah. moment for me. Like star Wars has come to life and it's come to life yeah. 13 miles from my home. And I'm all about it. <laughs> I just, to me, like I, I think that there's, a strange disconnect with I love the nerdiness and that's always been like my first review of, of Galaxy's Edge. I love the nerdiness. I love the the detail that went into it. But really no Star Wars fan was asking for a theme park that was like 100% canon. So I do feel like there's room for them to walk it back in order to push it forward five miles. Sure. You know, like I think that no 
Star Wars super fan who only cares about canon is going to be like, well, the theme park's not canon anymore, so I hate all of Star Wars. Sure, there's going to be 10 people on Twitter that think that, but like they're probably not even buying tickets to to Disney. And by not canon, are you, are you meaning like mixing of timelines? Yeah. Like if Rise yeah, of the yeah, Resistance? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like I'm not going to care about that if the experience is great. What sort of sparked this conversation is talking about the idea that um that they did a little bit of wrong by by the picking a timeline, mm-hmm. right? But even though I think we all agree on that, I think we probably also would agree that there's no way that they did that without also a contingency a contingency plan for sure. what's next. Mm-hmm. Sure. There's no way someone was like, This is between The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, the end. Forever. Like that that's yeah. That didn't happen. Yeah. Something this massive, there's no way they're like, Yeah, I'm just right. I'm gonna leave it there. when they made when they created this, when this idea dawned that you know you know they were like all right so here's what we'll do we'll start here because the films are out right and in five years we'll we'll refresh we'll do this or whatever it's it's disney like this isn't like they're not flying by the seat of their pants and to your point they had 60 years of disneyland history to go off of they know how things mature they know how things age they know the problem they have with tomorrowland and the problems that they don't have with uh frontierland adventureland uh or new orleans square other than eh, Let's get the racism out. And other than that, we're good to keep going. So they know yeah. how to basically now build a chassis that they can swap out sort of the customer facing parts and keep moving these investments forward for generations and generations. And, you know, the reason why Star Wars got put into both the Magic Kingdom and Disneyland, which is the most prestigious thing that they own here in America as far as the theme parks go, is because it is a brand that is perceived to be at that level. It's a brand that doesn't tarnish it's a multi-generational fandom and so they for sure they built something to try to sell what they have going on right now but you're you're not wrong ryan they've already backed off on things like for example you were supposed to go into the land and you're going to meet lots of characters and choose your own adventure and and you know you would you would ride the millennium falcon and then go into oga's cantina and you would get treated according to how well you flew that quietly disappeared with the restaurant and the ride with the animal that I can't name. So, you know, (laughs) they have already changed the rules a bit. They'll continue to change the rules. I think what they were looking for, though, is they realized that they messed up a little bit, but they're not going to back down on selling, selling, selling because of their huge investment in getting their ROI on this. But they were waiting for the hit that they couldn't deny. And that hit materialized in the form of The Mandalorian, Baby Yoda. Now we're going to get into the, the the Book of Boba Fett. So I would be really, really shocked that in a different world, if 2020 and the other Doctor Strange timeline was the way that it was supposed to be, last year was the year we were going to get three holidays to celebrate inside of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Those will probably develop in 2021, and we'll start to see it develop and get its own footing. So uh, once again, I stand by, it's an amazing slate. It's an amazing canvas that will tell Star Wars stories, our own Star Wars, whatever stories they want to tell for decades to come. The timeline, absolutely. I'm going to give them an A, but not an A+, plus because they got that part wrong. (laughs) Something that they mentioned, I think Doug Chang talked about this specifically in the special I can't remember which one. There was the one that they, it was on network TV, and now it's been on Disney Plus for the past yeah. you know six months or whatever. Adventure awaits. Is that something? Yeah, that, that sounds right. People have called. Talked about how early you know just kind of whiteboard conversations were like, should there be an actual Mos Eisley Cantina? Should this be on Tatooine? Should this be this or that? Yeah. And they ultimately made the decision to create a new world that they could then write new canon stories in comics and novels and eventually films or TV shows. So. They did the exact opposite of what you mentioned at the top of the show. Rather than being able to go into the most Eisley Cantina, live out a scene that you saw in a movie and be done with it, you go in there, you have all these different experiences, and then one day we are going to see an episode or a film in Star Wars in this exact location. They're going to go shoot something in this location, and we're going to see a place where we have all thousands of us have physically stood on screen and it's going to be the most magical shit we've ever experienced in our life. 100%. Why they didn't film something Mandalorian while the park was shut down for a year yeah. and it would have been so or easy. throw it in Rise of Skywalker. Like I, I just, that absolutely makes me crazy that at this point <laughs> they haven't used that yet because that just seems like a total no brainer. Throw it on screen and right. the park goes nuts. 
like ticket sales go through the roof. It's going to happen, dude. Yeah. And it'll make you jump out of your seat. It'll be a moment like, you know, uh, at the end of Mandalorian when you saw Baby Yoda for the first time. Or it'll be like when you realize that that X-Wing fighter was uh, Luke Skywalker that just showed up to save the day. It'll be one of those moments when you're sitting at home by yourself and you go, holy f- out loud. And your wife's like, huh? Like Star Wars stuff, babe. Don't worry about it. And it will be a moment where you audibly gasp, even though you're sitting by yourself at like, you know, probably you guys, one o'clock in the morning or me, 5 a.m. So I can wake up with bright eyes to see it. Uh, Yeah, there will be moments when we see Star Wars stories get told in there. And it will be amazing because I know that place. That's down the street from where I go there. I I got memories there. Yeah, dude, it's, you know, we all know the feeling of seeing something on screen in the real world where, you know, whether it's, you know, I, I lived in the Valley in LA for a long time. So I watch movies from the nineties and I'm like, oh shit, there goes John Connor on a motorcycle right down that street that I'm driving on right now. You <laughs> yeah. Know? And you um, love it because it's familiar to you. It makes it feel more real. Yeah. But think about that feeling in Star Wars. Holy shit. Like yeah. that's some surreal stuff and it's just going to be magical. Like we're saying. Do you see any evidence anywhere that this whole galaxy's edge, I don't want to call it an experiment because it's mm. here to stay. It's not an experiment. Do you see enough evidence that it's successful enough Yeah. Uh, to expand it and to put, you know, because obviously we're talking about like, there's no way you would say the sequel trilogy is a failure. It made billions upon billions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> but they had a, it, the weird wrench in all of this is that Mandalorian in maybe not financially, culturally was more of a hit. Yeah. Than the, the sequel trilogy. So, like, is there enough evidence there that the park can flourish after all of this? You know, like, I know we're kind of talking about changing it and all that, but do, uh, from like a behind the scenes sense, does Disney consider it a success financially in order to just be like, let's keep going? Yeah, complete success, Nick, because Rise of the Resistance is a once in a generation upgrade in technology. Mm-hmm. The score that they've got on that ride and how that has accelerated guests to want to go to the parks. I mean, the problem with this land is it's just been cursed, right? Like it took them way longer to perfect Rise of the Resistance uh, because you have all these different ride components that perfectly have to align to make that experience like flawless. And there's a rule at Disney. I, I forget exactly what it is, but an attraction has to be able to cycle something like three or four days straight, like shifts all over around the hour. That attraction has to be able to cycle days on days straight before it can go out to the public. And there was some rumors that there was problems with the way that the tracking was laid in the concrete. Some of the beacons weren't working right. And so it staggered out of the gate with only one attraction open. Now they got lucky that the weaker attraction is the one that it opened with, because if, if you would have seen rise first and then smugglers run popped up six months later, who gives a shit is exactly yeah. what that would have been labeled as. So it came out of the gate a little bit sloppy. Then we had the global pandemic. But as far as the reviews that's got on enjoyment of that attraction, that is a huge win for the Disney parks. Smugglers run. Uh, people enjoy it. It's a people eater. There's two massive turntables that each one of them has several cockpits that are loading in there, spinning around, taking people up a level, bringing them down two levels to let them exit, loading them on the middle tier. Like that thing is the desire that they have to just keep thousands of people an hour going in, having a great time and blasting out. Now, what they love about it the most, though, is that Savvy's, where you build the the lightsabers, incredibly profitable. Droy Depot, incredibly pro- profitable. Uh, Ogus Cantina, you can't get a walk-on in there. It books up all the time. Docking Bay 7, pretty good, stays pretty consistent. Uh, you know, blue and green milk, somebody should go to jail for selling those recipes to Disney. There's a chef someplace that's a bank robber that took Disney money and ran with it. What a letdown. What a complete disaster those two items are. At least are. in Orlando, you could put booze in them. Yeah. Hey, yeah, that would true. make me break edge just to try to drink yeah. blue milk that I could actually get down. I would break edge for that. But, um, you know, it is very, very profitable. You look at the Star Wars store that they opened up in downtown Disney in the old Rainforest Cafe. Uh, it had four-hour lines just to go in and shop at stuff that you had already seen in Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. So this is for sure something that is going to scale. This is for sure something they're going to invest in. And this is what I want to say to Star Wars fans. The first couple of Marvel movies were rough. 
But we now have a decade of big wins to where they got the formula all figured out. And the problem with, I think, the Disney films were is they just didn't have their guy yet. You know, Marvel really started to take shape when they found their guy, when they found their vision, how to put it all together. The, the Disney holding the reins of Star Wars is still fairly new you know they're they're trying to sort it out and i think disney plus is going to give them a lot of creative freedom to to be able to take bigger chances at much lower risk much lower stakes and so they're going to play around on disney plus find what the future of the 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 brand is and then build that into a cinematic universe so i think galaxy's edge has such a bright future and you know guys we live in a moment where no matter what you do, you can't make everybody happy. And there are people that yeah. profit off of negative videos. Because let me tell you guys something real quick. That's kind of why I asked this. Is, you know, all the negative press of like Disney, uh, Galaxy's Edge is a failure. I'm like, no, it's not. It's absolutely not. So I've been covering the reopening of Disneyland, right? And in the middle of the pandemic, when it was the bleakest, my videos covering the news of Disneyland reopening massive hits right when it was the worst news ever i couldn't get enough viewers to watch i mean just blasting out big numbers and then when this series the park finally reopens people are like i don't really care about the good news right. <laughs> yeah so it's yeah. going to evolve to where it needs to be but i think it's on a strong start and disney is very very happy with where it went and you know seeing them green light the star wars hotel that is a, a promising sign that the good things are on the horizon you know uh josh demero showing up with a, a, a actionable lightsaber which is probably going to work with augmented reality in the hotel to give you an experience of feeling like you're training to be a jedi like this has got a long ways to go mm -hmm. i'm here for it yeah <laughs> yeah just gotta, we just gotta get those podcasts like you know the like review passes to yeah. go to the hotel to review it good luck walt disney world is is a little fast and loose with with press passes disneyland you are not getting in man they uh la times oc register they don't really play the social media game man like they're like you creeps will buy tickets we'll see you on friday with the rest of the public right <laughs> yeah so that's fine we'll do it at disney world there you go but so we're talking about we were talking about the idea that picking a specific point in time in Star Wars history was maybe not the best decision. What would have been successful potentially without doing that? You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Like who's, who's the headliner essentially, you know, it's like a festival without a headliner. I have a thought. Yeah. I think where people get a little bit confused on that is they were thinking more because at some point they have to start making decisions here. Are we making this for Disneyland or are we making this for the film franchise? And a lot of the decisions they made lean more towards, well, what we're really doing here is we're building a land in our theme park. What has been successful for 65 years at Disneyland? What are our, our, our benchmarks of success? And they really leaned in that direction. I'd said earlier that Galaxy's Edge is themed after... Um, uh, New Orleans Square. And New Orleans Square is an incredibly successful land, right? It has its own Main Street type thoroughfare. Here with Galaxy's Edge, we have the, the Black Spire, right? Which the history of the Black Spire is, you know, when you look at America, every major city other than Indianapolis is formed on a body of water, right? The body of water is what brought people to my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky. The ocean here in Long Beach and all the freighters and the shipping, that's what made L.A. hum, right? Just those maniacs in Indiana are like, we'll build a city in the middle of nowhere because that's a very Hoosier thing to do. <laughs> but the Black Spire outpost, like, you know, the actual Black Spire is the black dark rock formation that's right next to Doc Ondors. And if you kind of look at the land from above, all the roads kind of come into an intersection there, which is very much how a village would work. Like all of the people that live on, you know, uh, the outer realm of this area, they would come in to, to trade, to sell items, to, to get whatever they need. And so when you look at that footprint, it's very New Orleans Square. It's not a straight line. There's all these little curves and angles, so you can never really see around the corner, which makes you feel trapped inside of the storytelling so there are moments when you're inside of whether it be the the bazaar where the shops are or over in front of ogas there's all these bends in the road and little triangles that develop so at some points you feel like you're stuck between two endpoints where all you see is star wars storytelling around you and so the actual black spire that's next to doc ondor one of my favorite fun facts about that is is it's 
black, it's dead, it looks like it's been through battle and it's tarnished, and that's the oldest relic there in the town where it got its name. But inside of that, the Imagineers actually put a living tree inside of there that is known as the hope tree. So therefore, it is something new, something that is alive, growing inside of something that is old, dead, and decaying. It is the story of Star Wars, of this tree growing inside of this, you know, black death rock. And that type of storytelling is in there for people to discover. But they walk in there and go, hey, man, where's my... Where's 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 my cantina at? Where's all my characters from my yeah. childhood at? Walt yeah. Disney would die if he was alive. Well, he'd already be dead because he'd be in his hundreds. But that's the type of thing that they transplanted in there if you're willing to take the voyage. So there's no place they could have picked to make everybody happy. So what they ended up right. doing was leaning on the core design principles of the theme park. Because after all, this is a theme park. This is a land inside of a theme park that happens to be themed around a film franchise that everybody loves. So Star Wars in this situation is actually the least important part of the equation because they have to go through a couple of other tiers of design for Star Wars to actually be successful. Does that make sense? Oh, of yeah, course. for sure. I mean, the only other thing they could have done is is stick old original trilogy strictly. Batu could have existed as a place that we never visited in the films, but it exists, you know, and, and it's a moon and you can go there. But as we talk about all the time on the podcast, that doesn't work for 10-year-olds. No, it just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. So, and those well, movies are looking a little long in the, the tooth these days, right? Mm-hmm. For young kids. I mean, for sure. It's, yeah. it, it's definitely gets harder and harder to have a kid watch those films and have that childlike awestruck reaction because it doesn't have what they're used to. Yeah. Um, but character wise, even, I mean, everybody knows who Darth Vader is, but little kids are not connecting with story. They do connect with characters, you know, but. The toys that are out are Kylo Ren and uh, and Ray and Finn and th- like th- that's what kids' experience is right now. So I don't think they had a choice. Yeah. to live outside of the sequels. The question yeah. is, can they successfully blend the two things? Can they do an original trilogy fan service for us in some way? Uh, you know, or is it an, is it just an event like like we kind of have mm-hmm. talked about? Is it? Uh, I'm I'm super interested to see wh- where they go with it because I don't. I don't know where else they could have gone character and like story wise as far. But I think the mistake, as we we've said, not to hit on it too many times, but just being stuck in that exactly between those two films. Like if you say something about Ray's lightsaber being yellow, a cast member will be like, no, she has a blue lightsaber. Yeah. Like still now, yeah. because yeah. they're, they're, they have to live in that time between the two films. And it's like, well, now the last film is out. So how does that even you know, how does that work? And I, and I think, as you said, that stuff's going to phase out, you know, the stuff that the cast members have to say and live by. Um, but it will be interesting to see where they go next with the story. One of the things that's kind of fascinating, though, about the way that the park's actually designed and, you know, the the story, I think, wasn't the number one thing that they focused on because this had to be designed for Disneyland first because Anaheim had a you know big city grow around Disneyland, right? So Walt Disney World, they actually own the, the city that it's in. So it's just raw earth out there. They can build what they want to build. But for this to be built, they had to build it for Disneyland first and then figure out how they just, you know, basically duplicate that out at World. And, you know, a lot of things had to happen for this land to come in. For example, they had to rerun the Disneyland Railroad. Uh, They had to take down a lot of backstage buildings that they were using. They had to reshape the berm of the park, which is sort of the signature ideology of Disneyland that once you're inside of it, uh, submerged in it, you never see the outside world. And so, you know, there's a lot of tricks they had to do here. They had to carve off the back end of Tom Sawyer's Island to make enough room for the Mark Twain and selling ship Columbia to, to make that back turn. But there's also fascinating problem solving with our version here in California, where Fantasmic, the, the nighttime show that they do on Rivers of America, there's all these, you know, parade boats that every night come out and go around the river and tell the show. Well, they used to sit in a warehouse backstage. Well, if you get rid of backstage, where do these boats go? So the next time you're on the Mark Twain or on the Disneyland Railroad on the backside, if you really look at the big waterfall, you'll realize that that waterfall can be turned on and off. And when they turn it off, inside of there is a warehouse where they keep all of the stuff for yeah. Fantasmic. But that warehouse was one of the first things that they built because they built a big where like a big concrete structure. Then they covered it with dirt because the railroad... Um, 
has to essentially go over the top of it. So the next time you're in Disneyland at Batu uh, West and you see where the, the land speeder is, that whole shop right there, on the other yeah. side of that, there's a door that will take you underground where all of these boats are waiting to go out for that nighttime show. So a lot of creative problem solving had to go into making this fit in Disneyland because Disneyland is such a beast on what that footprint looks like. So when you think about trying to figure out how to fit this thing in there, they're like, we'll figure out what costumes are walking around later. Let's just build this thing and get it in there. Because that's a heavy, heavy level of thinking on how to get that in there. And then be like, well, Disney World, no problem. Once we draw it up for Disneyland, we'll throw it out there. We'll remove one tunnel because they don't need it, and we'll be good to go. Yeah, we'll just fill up some more swamp with dirt, and we'll be fine. (laughs) And, you know, everybody here is a musician, right? And what I love about the tunnels that take us into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is that it's so removed from the rest of the park, which is good thematically. But I think of the tunnel. When you when you go through the tunnel and the music starts, and it's the only place where you hear music, and you transition from one land to the other, to me that tunnel is being on the side of the stage, and you're looking out and you're seeing the crowd, right? And then all of a sudden the house lights go down. It's black. You get that roar from the audience. Your theme music plays, and you're like, I'm going to go out on that stage, and I'm going to fucking rock this place. I'm going to take over this fucking crowd. I'm going to make each one of those people mine for the next 45 minutes. Always be main support, never headline. And so I feel like going through the tunnel is that moment of transitioning, like we're going into something awesome. And at Disneyland, all three of those tunnels are such a majestic adventure. When I look at Walt Disney World, you like walk out of a tunnel, and you're in the middle of Toy Story. I'm like, that's not for me, man. That's that's not the type of storytelling that I love. That's true. It's definitely more dramatic at Disneyland. Yeah, because Disneyland has to be perfect. It is the prize of the Walt Disney Corporation because it is Walt's legacy. It's the jewel. I mean, you 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 can tell. You know, I've, I've, I'm coming up on two years since I've been to Disney World, and it just seems, you know, let's just say they're both A's. Yeah. Disneyland is an A+, and Disney World, the shine is off of it. You know, it's an A-. It's it's not quite as perfect as Disneyland is. But the point I want to make here is that I just like how challenged I feel in a Star Wars sense Yeah, when it comes to Galaxy's Edge. Because it easily could have been Cookie Cutter, you're in Tatooine, you turn the corner, you're on Endor. You turn the corner, you're on Hoth. And... Here's my photo op with Boba Fett. Here's my photo op with Darth Vader. They already do that stuff in Tomorrowland, right? In Launch Bay. So they had to go in a different direction. And it is challenging. Whether or not that's what people want, that's one thing. But the people who want it get to get involved with the story and watch Star Wars and this park grow. If somebody like, you know, I always just say, if someone like my mother wants to go to Galaxy's Edge, she's going to be stoked about yeah, the Millennium Falcon and everything else that's going on there. So they really did, which I think is just the 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 sum of all parts of Star Wars right now is constantly balancing four decades worth of people, you know, and it's yeah. that's what the park is doing right now. Yeah, and th- and this is the thing that upset me, Nick. People went in there and they said, "Well, where's my favorite characters from my childhood?" But what they didn't go in there and say is, "Who is Oga?" And how did she become the one that runs the cantina? And as I did my research, I found that the whole reason why that area is like that is there's this golden lichen that grows on the the spires there. And so she was the one that figured out how to basically harvest that. And then through harvesting that, she got all the juice, had all the financial means. You know, she's running the cantina, which is really a hot spot for bounty hunters and scoundrels to come in there and sort of work side deals or where they're going to go. Because after all, this is the outer edge of of the galaxy right like if you're out here it's not by design you don't want to be here or you are there to let the heat blow over so for me i was so excited that when i went in there there was the the fable of oga there was doc ondor there were people that i didn't know that i got to discover and once i learned these stories these are stories that i only know at disneyland i don't know them in the movies so i was actually getting to live a new star wars adventure as i was trying to discover the hope tree or the 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 backdrop of this land how did the city actually get to form because everything at disneyland has a certified backstory written by the imagineers on why that building's there who put it there and what its purpose is and a lot of people came and said 
I don't see the things I know already. Instead of going there and like, I want to learn some new Star Wars. And if you're a Star Wars fan or a fan of anything, you should always want your brain to be a sponge to keep absorbing more because your fandom needs more to daydream about, to think about before you go to bed. We love these things because they take us away from our reality. But people went in there like, it's not real enough. Well, what's real to you? What you were raised yeah, on right. or what your kids were raised on? You know, like everybody went in there expecting it to be a mirror in their own image. And that's just not the way that it works. So I, I love that there's a lot in there to discover. And I found it to be a shame that people didn't try to roll up their sleeves and figure out what is the story of this place. Yeah. So funny because I, I walked in just blown away. Yeah, like, I mean, it is. There was not one cell in my body that was like, where's this? Mm-hmm. I, like. Last thing on my mind, I was completely mesmerized, and my only thought was, I will buy an apartment here if they sold, <laughs> yeah, right? And yeah. like yeah. live up above the market, and like I could just stay here forever and be immersed in this. You're one hundred percent right because you know everybody here's a, a traveler, right? And you can remember like the first time you walked down the street in Paris. Like if you go into your mind's eye, you can see what the sun looked like, what it felt like, what jacket you were wearing, what you were doing. The first time I went into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, it is trapped inside my mind. I could tell you exactly what the sun looked like, what the sunset felt like, the temperature, the breeze. Like, it felt so exotic. I'm like, holy f***, I can't believe I'm 13 miles from my house. Like, this feels like I've gone to the other side of the planet. Yeah. Dude, okay, speaking of that, I've been saying this since the beginning, basically since the one and only time I was there. And we talked about it on the podcast a little bit. And your extensive knowledge of Disney will maybe inform whether or not you think this would be, in your opinion, a viable business model for them going forward. I can imagine putting, like, Hard Rock Cafe style a cantina in every major city on earth and it being just a cantina fully themed as, you know, as, as much as any, any part of the park and that being viable and not even remotely cannibalizing the galaxy's edge, but ex- actually the opposite, bringing more people 100% to the park. Oh, it totally would. And this is why, this is where you're onto something, Adam. Uh, they have come to realize that like all of us, the America mall is dead. Online shopping has finally put the nail in the coffin of brick-and-mortar retail. And so you have all of these people that are just kind of shopping while they're watching Seeking Sister Wives on TLC. Or I love pregnant teenagers. (laughs) So I'm watching, you know, Teen Mom 7 or whatever it is, and I'm like ripping some stuff over online, and it just shows up magically on my porch. So what we need to do with the American landscape is we need to find a new way for people to spend their their leisure time and be entertained. And social media has created this gold rush of FOMO, which has led the parks to the the most explosive time in theme park history. So the uh, head of Walt Disney Imagineering has stepped aside. They are now forming a uh, a group of Imagineering inside of Imagineering. And what they're going to do is they're going to look at how do we take the magic on the road? How do we create experiences live for people? And it's essentially, there's right now a gold rush, Adam, of a lot of people that are looking at what can I package up? What can I make that goes out on the road that takes over the Sears in every mall across America? Like, what can I take and go on the road? And so why I think that you're right is that if you do give people something that they want and give them a taste of what that type of design and entertainment feels like, that makes them go, well, if that was fun for one meal, Let's imagine if we loaded up the kids, got on a plane and went to Florida or, or went out to California and got to walk around 14 acres of that and, and really yeah. explore it along with everything else. So they're already thinking in that way. And there are a lot of other businesses. So I would say, you know, in six to 10 years, start to anticipate the theme parks coming to you because there's that much of a desire for people to have something to do recreationally. But also if you're the one person in Sioux city, that's not posting that on your Instagram, you're a loser. What are you doing? Sitting (laughs) at home, working on your pickup truck, go down there, rip your pick and be with all your buds. That's what they're banking on. Dude. I'm there. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, just think of instead of planet Hollywood in times square, you're at a star Wars cantina. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it'll be the Star Wars property, but you're definitely going to see this stuff go on the road. And, you know, there were things like that, like the Marvel experience uh, in Vegas and the Star Trek experience that happened there. These things were a little bit early and didn't quite have the technology of augmented reality and a, a lot of the, the different uh, technologies that are being built right now for entertainment. But just the sheer use of how they use video screens, 
not putting a TV up to a wall, but creating a curved video screen that has holes that as you look through it, it actually shifts and moves it around. That's going to be what they're doing at the Star Wars Hotel. That's what they're going to be doing at Restaurant 220 in Walt Disney World. They're not just like cutting a hole in the wall and putting a TV up there and be like, hey, man, check it out, space. It's actually yeah. like a whole like curved environment outside yeah. of your windows so the glass and everything looks out to an environment that is actually continual beyond what you can see and is just running seamlessly all around you yo so you just brought up the galactic star cruiser the star wars hotel that's being built right now let's wrap up this podcast and we'll talk on the after show for the patrons about that so anything you want to say to the people before we wrap this one up I would like to thank everybody for listening to me hang out with these guys and talk uh, theme parks and Disneyland. And I would like to encourage anybody, the next time you find yourself in Batu, forget what you know and try to learn something new. Go through there with a clean slate. Go through there trying to experience your own Star Wars story. Become Luke Skywalker. Become Han Solo. Become Greedo. Become whoever you want to become. And go through there and try to live a new experience. And I guarantee you, when you walk out two and a half hours later, you'll be like, that was the most fun I ever had in Batu because I didn't go in there with arms crossed being like, where's the shit that I was raised on, Bricky? Go in there and figure it out on your own, dummy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be there a week from now, and that I, I just am even more jacked up. What day are hey, you going, go. Ryan? This coming Sunday, but at Disney World, though. I'm going to Orlando. Too bad. <laughs> well, you guys aren't going to hang out. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> No, I'm, do- I'm doing this weird thing that I do now where I just go to Galaxy's Edge with Ahsoka Tano. It's a very strange life. <laughs> hey, man. Way to level up. It's definitely a level up. Now uh, we all feel like our lives suck. So let's wrap this up. Bricky, where can <laughs> everybody find you on, on social media and on the internet? Uh, you can go over to YouTube and you can find me Monday through Friday. I put up a new video over at Adventures in Design on YouTube. Uh, if you want to hear my Disneyland podcast, it's available wherever you podcast. It's called Disneyland for Designers. And you can find Nick Bayside on one of my episodes. And Yeah, if we you- rebroadcast that, huh? Thank you very much. That licensing <laughs> deal worked out well. Still getting those residuals, and I appreciate it, boys. And then if you Loaded, are bitch. if you are a working creative and you want to listen to other creative uh, people hang out and talk about that journey, you can find me over at AID.network, where you can hear over 1,350 episodes where I've been going out and trying to figure out what it means to turn your daydream into your day job. So on behalf of everybody here, I'd like to thank you for listening to Thank the Maker, and we'll see you real soon at a galaxy near you. Awesome. If you're looking for the podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Thank the Maker Pod, on Twitter at Thank the Maker. My stuff is all at Adam the Skull. Mine is at William Ryan Key. And I'm at Nick Bayside. And do not forget, we're talking about Galaxy's Edge. You should totally be wearing a Thank the Maker tarp, as they would like to call it in uh, <laughs> in the hockey world. Get yourself a Thank the Maker t-shirt at thankthemakermerch.com. It's a sick blouse, bro. <laughs> if you want to catch the after show, go to patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. Till next time, may the force be with you. Yeah.